0: Well, my name is Daniel Norris, and I serve as the campus pastor over in Longview on our Spring Hill campus. And so, Pastor Matt and I did what we call a little switcheroo. I said, "Hey, let's let's switch it up a little bit. You go to Spring Hill, and I'll show up in Gilmer, and we're going to have a lot of fun over in Gilmer. We're going to we're going to send you over there to hang out with Spring Hill people." And so, we're praying that God moves in a powerful way this morning as Pastor Matt shares the word with that campus, and you guys are stuck with me. But we're going to have a lot of fun this morning. Amen. And so today we are continuing in a series that we started last week called A Better Treasure. And this is actually the fourth installment of a a larger series called The Uncommon Kingdom that we started months ago back in the fall. And so we're, we're in the fourth part of this series now as we make our way through Matthew chapter 6. And so the, the uncommon kingdom, we've been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, you guessed it, on the side of a mountain. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, in case you were wondering. And so, and what we see as Jesus preaches, the greatest sermon ever preached, is that Jesus is teaching us as his people how and what it looks like now to belong to the kingdom of God, and in this series, we're realizing and learning what it looks like now that we belong to this uncommon kingdom to make the kingdom of God our greatest treasure. And so how many of you remember as a kid playing hide-and-go-seek? some of you are willing to admit that? How many of you still play hide-and-go-seek? That's better. There we go. So I have two boys, and they love to play hide-and-go-seek. I uh, played it a lot with them when they were little. Now... They're getting older, they got too much energy for me, they're too fast for me, they go out and they play in our neighborhood with about 20 other boys and they run all over that neighborhood and they like to make it even more interesting by playing when it gets dark and they jump fences and they hide places they shouldn't hide and they go down to the woods, to the creek and then their mom hates it because when they're down in the creek someone always falls in the mud or when they find or see each other they start slinging mud and they come back just... Covered in mud and who knows what, and uh, so they love to play hide and go seek. So here's why I mean mention that. How many of you realize that even as adults, we still play hide and go seek? We're just seeking different things. We're always seeking. We're always searching. We're always looking for different things, and that's really the heart of Matthew chapter six. Jesus is letting us know, hey, don't seek after these different things rather seek the greater thing see in matthew 6 he tells us hey don't seek the applaud or the applause or the approval of man when you give don't let your other hand know what this hand's doing don't don't look for someone to to tell you how generous you are how great you are He says, when you pray, don't pray out in public like the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day, hoping that everyone around will see and and tell them how great, how holy, how righteous they are. He says, rather go into your room and pray in private and your father who sees will then reward you. he says, when you fast, don't don't look so um, woe is me. Don't look so pathetic, if you will, so that everyone will notice and feel sorry for you for how hungry you are. He says, rather clean yourself up Present yourself well and your father who sees you and knows those things, he will reward you. And if you remember last week, we talked about this seeking earthly treasure, seeking and wanting to lay up or store up earthly treasures. And Jesus says, hey, don't chase after those things like the pagans do. Don't chase after those things. You belong to a different kingdom now. Don't focus in uh, all your time, all your energy, all your effort on seeking after these temporary, fragile earthly treasures. Rather, store up for yourself treasure in Heaven, where moth and rust and, and cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal it. And so he goes through this list. He says, you're playing hide and go seek, and you're seeking after a lot of things. Just don't seek after those things and make those things the main thing. Seek after the better thing, which is Jesus himself, the king of the kingdom and so we're going to jump into it. And we're going to see what else he has to say to us as we make our way through the rest of chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to jump right in this morning. Starting in verse 25, this is what Jesus says. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon... In all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows. That you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the word that we just read. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in this place, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, but more importantly, Father, that our hearts would be overwhelmed by your grace and your goodness, that we would seek you first, that we would see you for who you are, Jesus, and that you are the better treasure. God, help us to treasure you in our hearts with all that we have, and we'll give you all the glory for it. Move in this place today, and We ask all this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, "Amen." So it was the fall of 2001. I was a senior in college. I know I don't look that old. I got, a, I got more laughs at 9:30. So I, I, I was a senior in college at Texas State University, and I was, I'm so old that it was Southwest Texas State University) um, I was in my last semester, this is about October, November, 9-11 had just occurred, so our world was a little chaotic, if you will. I'm in my last semester, I'm sitting there in class one day, and I guess you could say up until that point, I was um, pretty chill, pretty laid back, I didn't get rattled by many things, I was never stressed out or worried or anxious about anything. I was pretty just easy going, even kill. Like I, I probably should have been a lot more concerned with certain things uh, and like my grades. Uh, but I was just chill. I was laid back. I didn't get things didn't bother me. In fact, my wife, she would probably say, you need to get a little more concerned about certain things. Right. You need to get with it at times. But I was just relaxed. I was chilled. Things didn't get to me. And I'm sitting in class one day. And this is the very first time, the very first moment in my life where as I sat there, um, out of the blue, for no apparent reason, um, my heart started racing. My hands started sweating. I started breaking into a cold sweat. I turned as white as the paper on my desk. And I remember having all of these thoughts going through my mind And I got up out of the class. I walked out into the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and I thought, what is wrong with me? Something is happening to me in that moment because of this anxiousness within me and this worry that started to consume me. I was having a panic attack. I'd never had it before. I'd never experienced it. It came out of nowhere. It did not make any sense to me whatsoever. But you see, worry and anxiety rarely does it rarely makes sense. It comes out of nowhere, and it blindsided me. I remember walking back to the classroom, uh, feeling like I was just in a tunnel. My teacher saying things that sounded like Charlie Brown talking. I grabbed my, uh, or the teacher on Charlie Brown talking, I grabbed my bag. I, walked, I couldn't even talk. I walked out of the, of the room, and that was the first moment in my life where anxiety and worry And just gripped my heart, controlled my mind. And it controlled me for about another year and a half, I guess. And I I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where to go. So I just want to be honest with you today. Um, Even 20 years later, as a husband, as a dad, um, as a pastor there are still moments where it tries to creep up and it tries to grab a hold of my heart and a hold of my mind. Um, Even preparing for this message this week, and preparing for messages most week, and anxiety starts to creep in, worry, and I I just, um, the thing that's different now is I now know what to do. I have weapons to fight it. I know what to do. And so I don't want to stand up here today and read this text and talk to you and act like I've got it all together. I want you to see that I know anxiety is a real struggle. I know it's a difficult battle, but I also want you to hear me when I say this. There is hope. There is hope in the middle of that chaos. The Jesus that spoke to the storm and told the wind and the waves to be still. He can also speak to the storm that is raging within your heart and in your mind and say, be still. And it will listen. So I don't know where you are, but I want to ask you this question. Whether you've struggled with anxiety or you struggle with other things. I want to ask you this question today. Do you believe that God can take some of the most difficult days in our lives, some of the darkest nights of our soul, some of the things that we struggle with the most, some of the things that the enemy meant for evil, do you believe that God can take all of those things and flip the script, flip the script and use it for your good and his glory? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? I don't know if you do. Here's what I want you to I want you to hold on to that question today. I want you to ask yourself, wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're walking through, whatever storm is raging within your life, whatever chaos you're dealing with, do you believe that God can take it and use it for your good and His glory? And we'll come back to that in a little bit. So the month of May, if you're not aware, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that we are actually talking about anxiety and worry today. You see, Jesus comes right out of the gate in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. And he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or do not worry, depending on the translation. Four different times through those verses that we read, he says, Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry about your life. And as I read that, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, how is that even possible, Jesus? Do you know what's happening? Do you know what's going on in my world? Do you know what's happening in my marriage? Do you know what my kids are struggling with? Do you know what's going on in my world? And he says, yes. And I tell you again, Do not worry about your life. How many of you realize that we live in a world of worry? Let me give you some statistics. Since 1988, prescriptions for anxiety are up over 400%. 400%. I was doing some research this past week cause I was just curious and you know what we do when we get curious, we either go to Google or we go to Amazon. I picked Amazon this week and I was like, man, how many books are out there right now for sale on Amazon about anxiety and worry? Well over 30,000 books for sale on Amazon about worry and anxiety. And by the way, this is no longer just an adult issue. Everything that I've read, everything that I've looked at, everything that I've experienced in my own life as a student pastor for over 10 years and even as a campus pastor and having counseling sessions with people every single week. Listen, it is no longer just an adult issue. Those struggling with anxiety and worry under the age of 18, it is skyrocketing. In fact, research shows that anxi- those with anxiety between the ages of 15 and 16 have more than doubled in the last 30 years. I was thinking back to when I was 15 or 16, I didn't worry about anything. And all I was worried about, is there enough gas in my truck to get from here to there? Where are we going? What are we doing? I was, all I was worried about was having fun with my friends. I wasn't worried or stressed about anything. And yet now society tells us that 15 and 16 year olds are consumed with worry. In fact, it says that millennials and Gen Z, are described as the most anxious generation that we have ever seen. You see, our children and our students are consumed with worry. Pharmaceutical companies are making a fortune off of not just us as adults, but also our kids. We are a generation, we are a culture that is consumed with worry. Look what Time Magazine, Time Magazine recently said this, they said, anxiety is now the prevailing quality of our modern culture. I mean, this is unbelievable, isn't it? That the most prevailing characteristic of our culture is that we are a people that are known for being anxious. We are worried about everything under the sun. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our kids. We're worried about our kids' health. We're worried about our our money. We're worried about the lack of our money. We're worried about holding on to our money. We're worried about our careers. We're worried about the, the economy. We're worried about the market. We're worried about terrorism. We're worried about global pandemics and viruses now, for crying out loud, right? We are consumed with worry. We live in a world of worry. And worry, listen to me. Worry does not discriminate. It doesn't care how old you are. It doesn't care whether you're a male or a female. It doesn't care what color you are. It doesn't doesn't care how wealthy you are, how successful you are. It doesn't care if you're on the lower end of the economic spectrum. It does not care. It does not discriminate. No one is immune to worry. And this isn't something that has just occurred over the last few years. This isn't something that just popped up this past year with the pandemic. No, worry is a deeply rooted problem that started all the way back in the garden. You see, if you go all the way back in this story to Genesis, you will see that worry entered into the equation by Adam and Eve not believing God and then wanting to take control. Let me say that again. Worry entered into the hearts of humanity when Adam and Eve did not believe God. They believed in him, they had a relationship with him, they walked with him, they talked with him, they had all of this going on for them. They, had, they lived in a perfect place and did not want or need anything. Yet, for some reason over here, they listened to the lies of the enemy. They believed the enemy over believing God. So they doubted God's goodness in their life. They believed the lies over the truth. And then, because of that, they wanted to take control. So really, when you boil it all down to the bottom level, here's what worry is. The root of worry is this, if you're taking notes. The root of worry is our desire for control. We want to have our hands on the wheel. We want to control every circumstance, every situation. We want to control our health. We want to control our kids. We want to control our kids' health. We want to control the days of our lives. And we can't. We want control You see, in worry, ever since the garden, ever since it entered into the story in Genesis 3, it has been waging war on the hearts and minds of humanity ever since. So as we look at Matthew 6, I want us to answer this question this morning. How can we win the war against worry? How can we win the war against anxiety and worry? First thing is this, we must make Jesus our master. Jesus knows that whatever we are most devoted to will be our master, which is why Jesus starts off by challenging what we are most devoted to. Look at Matthew 6, verse 25. See the word, therefore, right at the beginning? He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will will wear. Anytime we see the word therefore in the Bible, we have to ask, what is this therefore pointing to? In other words, what is this therefore, therefore? It's pointing to the verse right before that. Verse 24, remember last week, Pastor Matt talked about this. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve God and money. In Matthew 6, we see Jesus teaching us the importance of seeking him above all other things. So is he the master of your life today? Is he the master of your life or is he just a friend that you run to when you have a need? For a long time in my life, it's like, like, he's up there, I'm down here. He stays there, just minds his business. All my mind, we're good. Until I needed something. Oh God, please help me out right here. I'm in a situation, right? Is he the master of your life? So let me ask you this. When you asked, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you and save you, Did you in that moment surrender and give him absolute control of your life? Did you? Is he the master of your life? Or is he more like a supplement? Like you've got a bunch of good things in your life and you just sprinkle a little Jesus in there with it on Sunday. Like is he just one of the many things that you're seeking and chasing after? Or is he... Lord of everything in your life. Is he the master? Here's what I know about kings. They don't share their throne with anyone. Do you know, let me say that again. Here's what I know about kings. They don't share their throne. He's either the king and the master of your life and my life, or he's not. And if he's not, then you think you're seated on the throne and you're in control and you're going to do what you want to do. He's either the master of your life or he's not. And if Jesus is your master, then hear me today when I say this, you can trust him. You can trust him and you can be anxious for nothing, like Paul says in Philippians 4, because you you can know that he will supply and he will meet all of your needs, just like Paul says. Second thing is this when it comes to winning the war against worry, we must focus on his faithfulness. Matthew 6:26 through 32 says this: says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you? Not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Let me just add this. Which one of you can add a single second to the span of your life by worry? Why are we so anxious? In this moment, Jesus says, Look at the birds. When, he said, when I read that, I'm thinking, are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, You want me to look at birds right now. Have you not seen the things that I'm worried about? Do you not know what's going on in my life? Do you not see what's happening in my career? Do you not see what my boss is doing? Do you not see what's happening at home, in my family, in my marriage? Do you not see how my kids are struggling? Do you not see how my parents are aging? Do you not see the struggles that I'm dealing with, the things that I'm walking through, and you want me to look at birds? I'm sure in that moment, Jesus is like, are you done? Y'all don't ever do this to your kids, do you? Like When they start just spiraling, you're like, go ahead. Are you done? Jesus says, listen, I want you to look at the birds of the air. That word, look, it's not just some quick glance, like, oh, there goes a bird. In the Greek, it means, hey, slow down. I want you to ponder. I want you to meditate. I want you to really look at the birds in the air. Listen, they are not stressed. They are not anxious. They are not worried. Have you ever seen a bird on a power line or on a tree limb pacing back and forth, worrying about the food for tomorrow, worrying about whether they're going to be able to make it down south when winter comes? Have you ever seen a bird pacing and striving back and forth, worried about all the things? No. No. Because they don't fret. They're not anxious. They're not worried. And that's what Jesus says. He says, look, look at creation. Look at the birds and take note. They don't fret. They don't stress. They don't worry. They're not anxious. I love this part how he, right there. He says, listen, that doesn't mean that they're lazy, that they don't care, that they're not active, that they don't do anything. No, birds get up every day and they go to work. They build their nests. They look for food. They fly south in the winter, but they're not anxious or worried about anything. He says, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, are you not of more value than they? He goes on, he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, in other words, the non-believers, those who don't belong to the kingdom of God, they seek after those things. And your heavenly Father... Knows that you need them all. You see, after talking about how beautiful God has made the flowers, Jesus says, "If if that's how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace, won't He do much more for you, you of little faith?" He's saying, "He's saying, if God is the kind of God who even cared in creation about the safety of the birds and the beauty of the flowers, don't you think that He cares for you?" Jesus is pointing us to recognizing and remembering the faithfulness of our Father. He's saying, listen, if you want to overcome worry in your life, then focus on the faithfulness of God. Focus on His faithfulness in the past and focus on His faithfulness and His goodness in the future. In the Old Testament, on many different occasions, as you read through it, you read stories. And as the people of God would go about their way in different times, and different places, on their journey that they would be on, God would say, hey, I want you to take and pick up some stones. And I want you to stack up these stones of remembrance. And he said, every time you pass by those stones, I want you to remember what I did in the past. And every time your kids see those stones, I want you to use that as a marker to tell them this is what God did in the past. This is how faithful he was in the past. So every time when you enter into the promised land and you start to get worried about tomorrow, I want you to walk back. I want you to look at those stones that are stacked up and I want you to remember how I provided, how faithful I was in the past so that you can know you can trust me in the future. What about you? I want you to, right now, close your eyes. I want you to think back. I want you to remember the times in the past when God came through for you. Focus on the faithfulness of God in the past. What about in your marriage? Can you look back and remember how God moved and how he healed and how he restored your marriage. What about your family? What about his faithfulness in your finances when you didn't know how you were going to make ends meet, how you were going to pay the bills, how you were going to do all these things. And he was faithful in your finances. What about your career? Maybe there was a layoff at work and you lost your job and you didn't know where the next job was going to come from. And God was faithful. He provided you a better opportunity or another career that you wouldn't have even begin to ask for or, known or couldn't even imagine? What about in a sickness? As you walked through it, you can see that he was faithful, that he took care of you, that he met all of your needs. What about in the deep, dark days of grief and loss and heartache when you couldn't see through the darkness, and he carried you and he walked with you and he was closer than... He was, he's the friend who stuck closer than a brother... He's the only way that you could put your feet on the ground and take the next step. He's the only way that you made it through those times. Can you remember how he cared for you? What about your salvation? If Jesus is your Savior, I want you to think about this for a moment. What it cost God the Father to adopt you into his family and make you one of his kids. Romans 8:32 says that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all how will he not also how will he not also with him freely give us all things you see Paul is saying listen if God was generous enough to save you then certainly he will be generous enough to provide for you I love what JD Greer says about this he says listen anxiety says That God may be able to take you to heaven, but he can't handle you on earth. It tells you that God is good for eternity, but insufficient for the present. It whispers in your ear that God delivered you from damnation, but won't work out the details of your everyday life. See, Jesus is saying, listen, if you trusted me with the most important details of your life, the salvation of your very soul, then shouldn't you trust me? with all the other little details? Why are you so worried? Why are you so anxious about those things? Listen, focusing on God's faithfulness to me yesterday strengthens me and it reminds me that I can trust him with my tomorrow. This is why Jesus in verse 34 says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You see, being anxious and worried about tomorrow does not empty tomorrow of its trouble. It just empties today of its strength. Said another way, and worrying about tomorrow does not make you escape the difficulty of tomorrow. It just makes you unfit to handle it when it comes. So let me ask you, are you fueling your heart on God's faithfulness to you? Jesus has given us us this as a weapon to fight worry and anxiety. You can look at his faithfulness in the past and when you're worried about tomorrow and you're worried about the next day and you're worried about all the other things, you can look back and go, man, I don't need to worry about that. The same God who was faithful to me there is gonna be faithful to me today and he's gonna be faithful to me tomorrow because I'm his kid. And I have a heavenly father that loves me so much that he gave me his very best. The last thing, if you're taking notes, is this. I believe this is the greatest weapon that we have when it comes to fighting worry in our life. It's this, we seek his kingdom first. Verse 33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. You see, we worry so much because we spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our effort, seeking after so many other things. But Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I've got a solution. I've got a solution to all of your struggles. I've got the winning remedy for your worry. And it's found in two words. Seek first. Did you get that? Seek first. First. Seek what first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of everything else. That's it? That's it. Seek first. He's not telling you or me to do something that we're not already doing. What he's doing is he is redirecting our seeking toward the only thing that is actually worth seeking. A relationship with the king of. Of the kingdom, Jesus. You see, the kingdom of God is not just a location. It's not just heaven someday, although that's part of it. It's not just a location where we hope we end up when all is said and done. No, the kingdom of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's the righteousness that you and I can be, are given when we enter into a relationship with Jesus and we make him Lord and master of our lives. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen what Jeremiah said back in chapter 29, verse 13. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He says, I'll be found by you. I want you to seek me. I want you to pursue me. I want you to seek me first above everything else. And when you do, I will be found by you. He says, seek me with all of your heart. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? You remember last week, the the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and he said, hey, rabbi, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? In other words, what do I have to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to belong to the kingdom of heaven, to be one of the king's kids? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And the rich young ruler, he's pretty smart. He knew the answer. He said, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all of your strength. In other words, put him first in my life. Love him with everything that I have and then love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus is like, Man, that's it. You got it. There's one problem, though. You're still seeking a lot of other things and you're not seeking me first. If you'll go and stop seeking all those things and then seek me first, I'll take care of all those other things. Says he couldn't do it. He walked away. So let me ask you new beginnings. Have you trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you made him the master of your life? If you haven't, man, I, I want you to hear me. Today could be the day Today could be the day that you finally find the weapons to fight all of the worry in your life. The reason I know that is because it says that he is the Prince of Peace. When you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord, as master, as king, and you put him on the throne of your life, he says, I will invade your heart. I will invade your life. I'm the prince of peace. And so when the storms of worry and anxiety start swirling around, you need to know that you have a king that loves you. You have the prince of peace in your life, and he's given you everything you need to fight this war. So I don't know where you are on the spectrum. I don't know if you deal with worry or anxiety, or if you're dealing with a lot of other things. But whatever it is, here's what I know. You can ask him to come into your heart, come into your life. You can let go and surrender and he will change everything about you and your life. You remember the question I asked at the very beginning and I said, hold on to it. I said, do you believe that God can take some of the darkest, most difficult things in your life and flip it around and use it for your good and his glory? Do you believe he can take what the enemy meant for evil and that he can flip it around and use it for your good and his glory? You remember that? I know he can. In my life at 23, that last semester in college, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer. I was seeking after so many other things I was questioning everything and then the enemy started to grip my heart and my mind with anxiety and worry and fear and I was consumed by it. I was paralyzed by it. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I thought people would think I was crazy and so I just kept it all to myself and after about a year and a half of that laying in my bedroom at two in the morning. I woke up. My heart was racing. I was sweating. I was having another panic attack in the middle of the night. And see, the enemy was trying to hold me hostage, keep me a prisoner. He wanted me to stay lost and separated from God, lost in my sin. And in that moment, God began to whisper to me. And he said, that's not what I have planned for you. And I just remember crying out, going... God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you can save anyone like me. I don't know if you are who they say are. But if you are, if you have the power to save someone like me, God, I need you to save me. And in that moment, the Prince of Peace invaded my life. And I could finally breathe. I got up the next day going, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But I want to tell you something. Since that day and every day after that, I've now had the Prince of Peace living in my life. He is the Lord and Master of my life. He has given me everything I need so that no weapon formed against me will prosper. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I know that He can do the same for you as well. So if you're here today in a moment and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. You're going to have the opportunity to respond. For the rest of us, got two things for you. So if you're taking notes, write these down because this is your homework assignment. I I, I really want us to do this. I I think this can be a very powerful thing in our life and it can be very freeing in our life. For those of us that know Jesus, he's the master of our life. We remember his faithfulness. We, We seek him first in everything that we do. We belong to the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to go home this afternoon with your spouse or maybe get alone by yourself. And I want you to write out a list of I want you to think back and remember all of the times that God has been faithful in the past. And I want you to write them down. I want you to make those stones of remembrance. I want you to write down a list and go, man, God saved my marriage here. God delivered me from addiction here. God set me free from the grips of anxiety and worry here. God provided for us financially here. God uh, gave me a new career, a new job. Whatever it is, I want you to write down that list. And I want you to hang it on your mirror. I want you to put it on your fridge. I want you to sit down and talk about it with your kids and go, look at the faithfulness of God in the past. Do you not think that we can trust him in the present and in the future? Look how good our God is. He is faithful. He is good. We can trust him in every situation. So tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday, when your heart starts to worry and your mind starts to race, when you wake up at three in the morning and you're wondering how you're going to handle the situations that week, I want you to walk in there and I want you to look at those stones of remembrance and I want you to go, he's faithful. He did it then, he'll do it again. And I want you to hear him speak to your heart and your mind, peace, be still. The next thing I want you to do is this, and it's a little bit harder. I want you to ask yourself this question. This is where we're getting a little more personal. What is the area of my life where I worry the most? Like, Look at your life, look at the things that, control you that consume you look at the thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night whatever it is what is the one area of my life where I worry the most I want you to write it down and then I want you to ask the second question to that am I seeking God first in this area of my life the place that I worry the most am I seeking God first in that area because here's what I know Whatever I worry about the most is usually the place I trust God the least. Let me say that again. Whatever I worry about the most is usually the place that I trust God the least. And let me, let me just add this on to it. Wherever I trust God the least, you can bet that I'm not seeking him first. I'm not seeking him first in that. So, what do I worry about the most? Because it's where I trust God the least. And then just be honest with yourself and go, God, I don't want to worry about that anymore. I want to give up and let go, give it to you, let you handle it. You're the master of my life. You can handle it a lot better than I can. You provide for the birds of the fields and the the birds in the air and the lilies in the field. You're my father. I know you'll take care of me as well. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the word that we have heard today, the words that you have given to us. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that is far from you, that doesn't know you as Lord and Master, that, that doesn't know you as the King of their life, that today would be the day of their salvation, that today would be the day that they surrender everything that they are to you. God, move in this time, move in this place, set captives free. God, if there's any other in this room that is struggling with anxiety and worry and depression and fear and all of those things, God, I pray that today would be a day that they realize you have given them everything that they need in Christ Jesus to win the battle against worry. That today would be the day that they realize they have more than enough in you. Father, move in this this place. Help us to realize that you are the master, that you've been faithful in the past and that you'll be faithful in the future. We trust you with every detail of our lives and we'll give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you need prayer, our ministers are up here. We love you guys.